I would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. All opinions and discussions on the podcast are purely individual experience, so please consult a doctor or medical professional for more information. Welcome to the Shake It Up Show, a podcast in partnership with Shake It Up Australia Foundation for Parkinson's Research, where we speak to people whose lives have been impacted by Parkinson's disease and hear their stories. My name is Amy Louise Ruffle. I'm an actor, comedian, podcaster, and most importantly, a proud Shake It Up Australia ambassador in support of my dad who lives with Parkinson's. My guest this week is a Shake It Up ambassador who crushed it at a live comedy benefit show we had in Melbourne last year to raise money for Shake It Up. He's a very funny human, a delightful human, a human that's all over your television, and I'm so stoked to have him on the podcast today. So please welcome Dilrock Jayasinghe. Hi, Dil. Hello, Amy. Well, this is embarrassing. I, first of all, uh, you know, I'm not a human. I don't know who told you this. I like to think of myself as a superior being to the rest of you peasants out there. No, (laughs) no, that's a very lovely intro. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, it was really fun. That's the first time we met, I think, that gig. It was, and you really played the character of human really well. You had me fooled. (laughs) (laughs) So well done. Yeah, it's a testament to my acting skills, Amy, that I'm able to fool all of you to think that I'm one of you. I always think that whenever people are like acting must be so hard. I'm like, dude, I'm doing it every day to look like I either care or that I'm happy. Like, I'm co- it's all. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> Your life is just literally an act for you where you're like, if you really knew how I feel about you, champ. <laughs> I had like an ex-boyfriend back in the day be like, but how will I ever know if you really love me? And I was like, well, I guess you, you won't. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You just have to. You know, I don't know. Yeah, if you're too good at one particular thing. So I think about that a little bit with uh, stand-up, right, being my skill set that I live, made a career out of, which is a lot to do with. By the way, I've just got to let people listening know that I've got a new laptop, and uh, it's my first time. I've told this to Amy already. Uh, however, there seems to be a lot of bing and pinging happening right now because it's connected to my phone, and I've never had a laptop that shows me text messages on my phone. So I don't know what's happening, guys. I apologize for the for the pings going off. Just um, uh, let that we be. We can't That's... hear the ping, just so you know. But I know how distracting. Okay, good. good. Every time the message comes in, and I'm sure for you, it's like a message that's like, "Hello, Overlord. You know, sorry I didn't do the job." Yes, yes. Superior man. Yeah, exactly, Which exactly. We couldn't invade lock on a 65. So there we go. They said, you know, the, the troops are reti- retreating, apparently. Oh. No, but uh, I was thinking with stand-up, right, with what I do and what I'm sort of, you know, uh, as a career, it's effectively manipulation. Like, essentially, I'm using a string of sentences to manipulate and elicit a feeling out of the audience, which is laughter in my case, you know? Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of, like, if I put these story here and then I tell this story later then they will feel a certain way, generally speaking. And that's like actual human manipulation, like manipulating people's feelings. Yeah. And I'm like, God, I'm glad I'm using my power for good rather than for bad. <laughs> I kind of 
like taking that one step further, I'm like, everything is kind of manipulation. Like when I work as a producer in the nicest sense Mm. of it, I'm manipulating people to do the jobs I want them to do. So I'll like say the thing that I need to say to get the outcome that I want. Right. Like it's all right. Levels of Maybe the clear difference is the, the willing participation of it, you know? So when you're a producer and you've had people that you're telling to get done or whatever, or manipulating to get done, they were, you know, aware that they, this is the job or this is who they need to listen to. And similarly, at a comedy gig, people have walked in going, I would like to laugh, so please manipulate me. <laughs> and that's at least what we tell ourselves so we can go to sleep and not feel like absolute awful people. <laughs> Sociopaths. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So you sort of touched on your life outside of um, being an ambassador for Shake It Up. You're obviously an incredibly talented comedian and actor. Oh, thank you. And one thing that I did want to sort of narrow in on, because I think this was outside of my time of being in Australia, so I don't really have an awareness of it. But you did go mm-hmm. on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here for Shake It Up um, as your charity. Yes. How yes. did that come about? Were you nervous going in? Like what was the sort of pre-game and then when you're actually there? Because it seems bananas. It seems crazy. Yeah, it is as bananas as it looks. I would actually say it's more bananas IRL in real life than it is on the telly because all the insanity that you see on the show, which for those who haven't seen it, involves a lot of like different challenges. So there's a fair bit of like uh, grossness, you know, like a gross eating challenges and having to swim with snakes or you know, get get a whole bunch of mice dumped on you and, like, Rhonda Birchmore got stung by scorpions and it's not like, you know, oh, these are prop scorpions or anything like that. She properly, they stung her on day one and oh. her ring finger was swollen for pretty much two weeks, you know? So it's legit. You get injured and you get cut up and stuff like that. And that was scary because I had some sort of termites in the first challenge where you had to put your hand in a box and try and retrieve something. Uh, I think you're trying to retrieve a key and I accidentally ripped off the GoPro that they had inside the box that was meant to <laughs> capture my pain of my hands getting bitten. I just ripped the GoPro off. Anyway, um, yes, it's more intense because not only do those things happen, but that's just maybe an hour or two of the day. The rest of the time, it's just dead quiet and boring, you know? So the intensity is more about how you keep yourself sane with the other campmates, you know what I mean? And it's one of those experiences that I swear I would do again in a heartbeat, as awful as everything was. It was it was once in a lifetime type thing, you know, and I wish I had more time in the jungle because I was the first one to get kicked out in my year. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I was very, very bummed about that because I was like, God damn it, I really because um, I didn't get to eat gross stuff. I was really looking forward to seeing how I go with, you know, impala anus and antelope testicles. Like, <laughs> that was literally on the menu for one of the challenges. And I was like, ah, like, don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm craving it, but I just wanted to, I like challenging myself, Amy. I like to put myself outside my comfort zone to see how I, just to see how I go. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was quite the, uh, <laughs> it's weird to say I missed out on that. But the truth is, I feel like I missed out on that experience, you know? Well, I think it's nice to know that you can still have goals and things to look forward to. You know, you've always got the thing in the future of like, if only I can eat that ostrich anus, then I'll really, really know. Yeah, Um, just some steamed blanche, no salt. By the way, people need to remember watching who've seen the show, it's no flavoring. They've literally tried to make it as, as edible. Like, obviously, they can't poison you, but they do the minimum required effort to get rid of the germs. 
Right. And so after that, it's just like, like even chicken, which we, you know, is quite commonplace we eat. Like a boiled chicken without any salt isn't necessarily a delightful thing. So imagine the chicken's butthole. Like, not necessarily, like, again, by the way, I'm not sure what level of uh, this this podcast, you know, what's the rating here, whether we've gone into too uh, graphic too early, maybe. But yeah, and you know what I mean? So the point is, if you think chicken boiled is a bit odd and bland, imagine the weird pig. There was one, I think, Rhonda Birchmore or Billy Brown or someone had to have uh, pig nipples. Well, what the hell is going on there? You know what I mean? Yeah. I just also would like to thank you for allowing my day to contain the sentence chicken butthole because it's not something that regularly comes up for me and it's really fun to hear those two. No, it's on the secret it's on the secret menu at KFC if you actually ask. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Deep fried chicken butthole. <laughs> be careful when you ask for a BLT. You don't know what you might get out You know what that B is. Oh, my God. One last question on that. Um, do you think it weirdly maybe prepared you in secret for the, like, quiet time of lockdown that you're saying? like? Uh-huh. Yeah, to be honest, there was a lot of similarities in that we, you know, where the – because this was – I went in on, um, I think it was Jan 2020, and then obviously two months later was when the pandemic, I mean, March, we pretty much shut everything down. There was an element of it because we were kind of locked down and away, uh, you couldn't see our families and things like that. However, the difference was, the major difference was I wasn't alone. Whereas in the lockdown, I was very much in a one-bedroom apartment by myself, single, you know, and it wasn't a while before they allowed bubble thing. Like, you, I think they allowed intimate partners to visit and stuff like that, but I did not have anyone that I met through Tinder that I would consider an intimate partner. They were intimate, sure, but I didn't feel the label partner was <laughs> was fair. So there was no one. So that for me, that element of it was genuinely brutal. It was, uh, it was quite a tough time for me because I'm very social and I like human interaction in spite of not being a human myself. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. Honestly, I don't know why I got caught on that human thing. I regret that riff, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, I love human exactly interaction. What a, and... That's what a superior being would say. <laughs> yes, yes. I just want to appeal to the to, to you know the every person. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the lockdown that we had with the jungle was different because we had each other as much as we found it quite challenging. But also, never forget, we volunteered for that one. The global pandemic was thrust upon us, you know? (laughs) And uh, so it wasn't the same. Yeah, the whole one-bedroom thing through the pandemic was um, certainly I wouldn't advise it, but I also know that, um, you know, there were lots of hard situations. So it's a time that I'm sorry I brought up, to be honest, because I've kind of erased it from my memory because I did fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I don't mind. I mean, I'm kind of glad that, like, look, I, the, one of my favorite things about podcasts is that you kind of can have, make it conversational without having the hecticness of the, the agenda as such, whereas you just kind of free flow through it. But yeah, the, like, as much as the pandemic was something that we all would like to, you know, think is in the past or whatever, I think the ghosts of it still affect us. Like, I would say I was someone who was very extremely extroverted, but I definitely pick up some introverted qualities now where you know after a gig i used to want to extend the party as long as possible whereas now i'm a bit like you know what i'm just gonna go home you know and just have a bunch like curl up on the couch just enjoy my night without needing to feel like i need to be social all the time yeah gosh it diminished the need for 
like so many social engagements. I remember I used to do like multiple things in a night and feel, you know, energized or really sad about missing things. And now if I do two things yeah. a week, I'm like, whoa, that's enough. Like I got to recharge now. Unbelievable, isn't it? Just to think that that was the life of a, it's, it's good to remember how quickly uh, we can lose certainty, you know? And it's that sort of thing as well. Like, you know, obviously with Shake It Up and the work they do with Parkinson's and things like that, like one of those elements of it that I guess you don't really think about is when you're diagnosed with it, it's it's not a immediately now suddenly your life has changed. Do you know what I mean? It's the opposite, which is that it's this slow sort of, you know, the, the, the changes that happen to you, at least in my case, it's my father. It's something that's over time. So it's in a weird way, uh, like I said, it's the opposite, but it almost has its own challenges because it's not like you can go like, oh, I'm certain of this future for me in 10 years. It's like, you know, my dad was someone who really had beautiful handwriting and he used to study calligraphy. And like now that's kind of completely out of the question, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's not like a thing which he necessarily, when he got diagnosed with it, was aware to go, oh, I better enjoy these times that I can still do it because in the future it might not be there or it looks like it won't be there. Instead, it was like, oh, I don't really know what's going to happen. So it was just very confusing, you know? Mm -hmm. You don't really know how it's going to impact you. Well, yeah. Thank you for doing my job for me and getting this conversation back on track and back to shake it up. Um, but let's talk a bit more about your dad. So yeah. tell me, um, how long ago was he diagnosed and what do you remember of that time and learning of his diagnosis? My, from memory, I think it was 2007. Uh, so quite a while ago, so nearly... 20 years ago, or 15 at least. And I think initially it was like a, huh, okay. And, and then maybe, I think for a couple of years there, Amy, if I'm being honest, I think I was a bit of in denial because, you know, the tremors in his hands were so kind of mild that you kind of maybe, you just don't know. Like, again, you, you, if you're, I would say, lucky enough to not know about it for a while, that's a pretty decent. And then suddenly it's sort of in your life because we didn't really know anyone else who had it either. And it's funny how since then my dad's cousin has it as well and things like that. So it's very, I mean, cousin by like marriage, not even like he directly, so his cousin's wife really. So I shouldn't say cousin, but his cousin's wife, um, she has it and stuff. And I think that's so, it was just completely coincidental, but it was interesting to see them sort of have it at a similar time and have different symptoms and hers was more, quicker and seemed to be progressing uh, much quicker and so I felt that maybe that's where some of the denial came from going oh well it's not as bad as hers so maybe it's this is something else you know but yeah that's how I felt is very bit hazy I think but it was very much confusing and I think the other only memory that I have is I understood the difference between and of chronic and uh, progressive I think meaning that it's for life and it will keep getting worse like that was the first time those that phrase was told to me or I heard it. Yeah. And, uh, but honestly, that's, that's it. That's still the memory I have. I remember being in a car with my housemate at the time and getting a call. <laughs> Isn't it funny how you can have that real, like strong sense memory like that of the location? Yeah. I couldn't tell you what my housemate's name is, but I remember <laughs> he was next to me. <laughs> and do you, remember no, no, what, no, do you remember what you knew of Parkinson's at the time as a like disease in general? Uh, just Michael J. Fox. Yeah. And Muhammad Ali. Those were the, the first time I remember hearing about it because 
I would say Michael J. Fox was public with it end of the 90s, maybe towards the end of the 90s, or and maybe Ali was before that. So potentially Ali was maybe the first time I heard about it. Um, and I remember being confused because there was that interviewer, the journalist Parkinson's, <laughs> and he used to be on Ali a lot, or Ali used to be on his show a bit, and they right. became friends. So I remember I was t- young enough to be confused by the existence of a Michael Parkinson's who interviews Muhammad Ali and Muhammad Ali having Parkinson's disease. And somehow I'm like, but is that connect? Like, I remember asking questions, is it from him? Is that why he got the, is that name given to him? Like, that's, yeah, as far as I can really remember. You're like, why do people keep going on this show if they keep getting Parkinson's? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this guy really needs to stop broadcasting. (laughs) (laughs) And so how are things going for your dad now? How, what sort of symptoms is he living with? So he's, uh, the big ones are his hands, I would say. Uh, his head seems to be, you know, okay. And the legs, uh, the one I worry about is the legs because he's sort of tripping up a little bit more these days than he was maybe two years ago. And those falls at his age, you know, he's 73 now, 72. He's definitely has a lot more worrisome issues, you know, mm-hmm. but I think it's more right now, the biggest issues really still, or rather not right now, but it's still an issue is the mental effect of it. I yeah. think that's probably the the bit that probably impacts him the most is knowing that that he's limited in what he's able to do or want to do or you know it's and it's always the little thing sometimes for him you know the he's a very sort of proud man you know uh, and he's always big on like dressing up for for example he's completely ashamed of how I dress when I fly because <laughs> I wear like tracky decks and and just like trainers occasionally thongs and he just cannot believe that I would do that like uh, you know like I was like man I've worked hard enough so I can travel comfortably like <laughs> you know I don't but the reason I got left accounting and got into comedy is because I didn't want to feel like I have to wear something otherwise you know I can't do my job or whatever that you know corporate nonsense is so whereas now I'm like yep tracksuit thongs I'm comfy and I'm flying very, very comfortably. <laughs> so um, for dad being a proud man, uh, I think he struggles with being in like a public restaurant or something like that. And having soup, for example, is something that, you know, he's, he finds challenging. So, you know, quick fix is just get the soup, but pour it into a mug and he can hold the mug and drink it. But those little, those little things kind of impact how he can enjoy the experience. You know what I mean? Because yeah. there might be like spillage, for example, if he's serving like a curry onto rice and... Um, I know it sounds stereotypical for a brown man to talk about his dad having curry, but honestly, that man only eats curry. So, <laughs> I just, I mean, yes, I can say pizza because occasionally he'll have a pizza, but the man just loves his curries. So when you have curry, you serve it from, you know, a dish to your, to your plate. Those are those moments that I think I can see. And he's now kind of normalized to it, by the way, I should say. Okay. But I, I think it's more for me every time because I always see them like two weeks at a time, maybe twice a year. So those are those moments where I'm like, oh, wow, like it's, I noticed the changes or the, uh, the how, how much more uh, vigorous the, sh- the, the tremors are. Yeah, you'd probably be seeing it more acutely than other people that are around him because you have those big gaps and you see um, the uh-huh. progression in a, a, far more, a far different way. And with mm. that mental health stuff that you're talking about, is that something that 
he's um, like accepted or is it something that he seeked help for or he hasn't really, I know, especially for like men of that generation, it can be a really challenging thing to talk about not feeling great. Yeah. So really the answer is no, no. And yes, I agree. <laughs> Which is <laughs> that he, I don't know about the acceptance. I'm not so sure. Uh, as he seek, sought help to talk to someone about it? No. But I agree. It's that it's a generational thing and it's, definitely cultural as well like you know i'm very public about my uh, mental health and i advocate as many people if they can afford it to you know seek professional help whenever they can you know and i'm an ambassador for like even like mental health australia and things like that because those are those kind of things that i wish was spoken about more often when i was growing up and so even me doing that was kind of the their foray into understanding what a therapist is or what the benefits are and they still had a bit of resistance for a while there even like even for me telling them that i see a therapist took me longer to tell them that than to tell them all my stupid drunken debaucherous stories or when i used to be a boozer like it, it's so bizarre to me to think that i was more ashamed to tell them about seeing a therapist than i was about telling them that i on a christmas party after work i shit my pants in public like somehow <laughs> that was okay to tell mom and dad but yeah. to say oh i actually want to quit drinking and i and i'm getting professional help with it no 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 we can't talk about that <laughs> you know so it's really odd how we have these things that oh actually i used to whereas i was like i need to break away and 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 just be comfortable with that which i am now but for them i know they definitely had some resistance because and i asked mom uh, specifically what her issue with it was and she said it was more like she felt guilty or that she didn't do a good enough job as a mum to give me the tools needed to to seek you know get the help on my own and I said to her I was like okay well hang on if I went to a dentist do you think immediately oh I didn't teach him how to brush his teeth and so she's like no I'm like why she's like oh because the dentist is the professional who does a bit more thorough cleanups and I'm like there you go so yes you gave me some tools yeah no worries but I just need to see a professional once in a while for a little tune up, a little clean up and maybe, you know, some heavy lifting. So with that sinking council, I don't know if that is definitely, to be honest, like I've, I've, I've been trying to allow him that space to talk about it openly, to allow that, use the word sad, depressed, frustrated, angry, whatever the emotions are that comes with being with this disease but then now it's progression as well. However, I definitely feel like there is still an element of if I speak it, then I am weaker. Therefore, I will try and pretend like it's fine. And I'm of the opposite belief. I'm like, the more you speak about it, the stronger you're going to get. Because, you know, that's how you realize you're not, you don't have to feel ashamed about it for starters, you know, and seem somehow feel like, it's something you can't, um, especially to your son, articulate and be like, you know what, this sucks and I hate that I got this and, you know, and just allow that vent and then almost be like, all right, now that that's happened, what can we do? Like what you say, it's, there's so much unlearning that has to happen for mm -hmm. particularly that generation you're saying culturally too because it's not something that they grew up with access to or acceptance of we're sort of on the brink where like it was just coming in as we were growing older so i think we still yeah have to deal with the yeah the feelings of shame or guilt or um weakness for going to therapy whereas i think about people 10 20 years 
younger than me who mm. it's just like it's just a it's just normal it's so normalized yeah, 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 yeah. for our parents and um generations beyond them it was just it was something that you only did if you were sick in the head rather than oh yeah. i actually maybe just want to look for a better way or i need an outlet that i don't want to put on my wife husband partner friend i want you know a totally unbiased place to have a conversation um so it's mm. Great to see the progress, but yeah, you do feel for people who still have to battle so much for something that could help their life. Yeah, totally. And it is one of those, you got like lead the horse to water, you can't make them drink stuff, you know, where, yeah, as much as on paper, I believe that he would benefit from it, the only benefit will come if he chooses to do it. Whereas if I pushed him into it, there's no way he would actually, there's less benefit if he sits there because he's, you know, not necessarily going to be enthused about opening up so vulnerably. Yeah. You've got to be ready. Absolutely. Right. So your dad isn't in Australia. Um, he's in Sri Lanka, mm. I believe. What's yes. the care like for Parkinson's over there? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. I shouldn't be laughing, but it's, I think it's just because it's the first time it's hit me just how little it is. Like, a lot of there is staff obviously there are doctors and things like that but i i know for a fact that there's a particular medication that he's able to get from a doctor in india that he can't get here in in so he can't get in sri lanka so my dad my brother lives in india in mumbai and so you know when my brother comes down he kind of gets the re up of those medications or whatever mm-hmm. so to be honest that side of things I'm quite ignorant about as to what sort of care that is available for dad over in Sri Lanka. But I know that it's clearly not as much as, you know, is available in the world. Yeah. And, and even a big part of me is something like, you know, wanting to see what resources through, you know, shake it up and things like that, that actually I can educate myself on and maybe like figure out a way to, you know what, Amy, just, just hit me. And I might actually end up crying as I say this out loud. So I apologize if I do, but no need just to before apologize. I left, not apologize. Sure. You're right. I don't need to apologize. For it, but uh, um, I think just before I left, I remember him saying, uh, sorry, when I say left, I mean, literally three weeks ago, which was, I was in Sri Lanka for about a couple of weeks on holiday. He said, oh, and you know, if you see any kind of like, you know, stuff about Parkinson's in Australia, please let me know. And I was like, oh yeah, of course. You know, and I just, you know, I don't know why that wasn't prioritized in my head until this, this moment, you know, I guess life, my own, own bullshit kind of got in the way. But yeah, he did actually say that for the first time ever, which he's never really asked me before. So, well, there you go. You know, he's obviously ready for some more help. Yeah. And we hear on this podcast and like just general, I guess, Parkinson's community stories about obviously there's the medical side of things, but the other things, the allied health, the additional sort of um, services that really seem to change, not necessarily um, the long-term outcome, but change people's experience in the process of that. So like the exercise and things like that seem to really like help people with their symptoms. And you see people like totally transform their um, capabilities and stuff like that through whether it's like boxing or Mm. gymnastics or these like um, speech therapy is a really big one too. So I know there's definitely a a laundry list of things that we could uh, recommend for your dad to to try out there. But I know, and I appreciate that. Thank you. But also just in terms of like, 
I don't know what I can like that's available in Sri Lanka. That's the part that I think I'm feeling more overwhelmed by because yeah. I was like, was he, had he been here, you know, I would have absolutely like flown with him to Sydney to go meet the folks at Shake It Up and, you know, uh, introduce him to them because, you know, he's the reason why I do the work that I've done for Shake It Up so far, whether it's, you know, I'm a celeb or actually my big one, the one which, that I'm really proud of is the, uh, oh man, I need to remember the celebrity, not mastermind, uh, Weakest Link. Oh, no, I don't know about that. What was that? Yeah, yeah. I, I did uh, Celebrity Weakest Link with Magda Zubansky, and I think I won like uh, 25 grand nearly for, for Shake It Up. Oh, my so God. So that, that, that was the big one because that was like literally using trivia. <laughs> That's <laughs> you awesome. Know, I felt like I was like officially can say is kind of smart. <laughs> You're very smart. That comes across in um, all of the comedy work that you do too, absolutely no doubt. <laughs> but on that, like a quick question, and then we um, we are running out of time. How do you take care yeah, of... Yeah, I've never had a Zoom meeting which has a countdown on us. This is like it's about to blow up, so let's do this quickly. Wow. Okay, don't blow up my spot that I don't pay for the pro account, Dill. Thank oh, mate, why didn't you tell me? I would have, okay, we can cut this out. I could have used my account because I have the pro account. Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's totally bad. Um, How do you take care of yourself? Obviously, it is challenging, like not being in the same country and caring for Mm. someone or knowing someone that is going through Parkinson's can be tough. So what do you do to take care of yourself? Uh, I would say I am, I've taken a more cowardly approach. (laughs) And I'd say that by, I basically realized I don't, I'm not as emotionally strong as I would like to be in terms of being more hands-on with learning and, and, and educating myself on the situation. But my way of dealing with it is knowing that, hey, I do have a, a avenue or a platform that I'm able to help those people that are doing the heavy lifting. And I kind of have resigned myself to going, whenever I get a call from you know someone saying, can you do this thing and if I'm free I absolutely am like will lock it away you know what I mean and I and I tell myself that that that'll do <laughs> because anymore I don't think I I have the strength to you know navigate and so that's my way of looking ironically looking after myself is by being a bit more of a coward or recognizing my limitations for example when you ask me what's the care that dad has in Sri Lanka you know, there's a well of guilt, um, uh, overwhelm of guilt, I feel, because I'm like, I don't know the specifics because I've kind of got like my blinkers on as to like what I can do. But I'm like, okay, but as long as I'm being an ambassador to shake it up or talking about the organization and getting their name out as much as possible, then that's my way of using the skills that I have to benefit this thing that I do believe in, but I just don't have the strength to do the deeper work. I think absolutely reframing it as recognizing limitations and boundaries rather than coward, because I don't think you're a coward (laughs) at all, and we don't need to be giving ourselves that sort of label. But you did an amazing job for Shake It Up. You've raised so much money, but it's like you said, the platform, the awareness, all of that stuff that you do for the Parkinson's Mm -hmm. community is an incredible service and is helping people to feel comfortable to talk about and accept their um, their Parkinson's diagnosis. So we all thank you for the work that you're doing. And um, well, that means a lot. Thank you. Yeah. We appreciate oh, being here. I, I wish. Yeah. Hopefully I'll find the strength to do more in the future, but yeah, I'm glad. I appreciate you saying that now. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us here today. <laughs> like the Zoom timer is going to knock us out of here. So we appreciate your time, Dil, and we will have My to pleasure. get you back on later on. I'd love to. Please do. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Shake It Up Australia funds groundbreaking Australian research that aims to slow, stop and cure Parkinson's disease. And they need your help. To support Shake It Up's vision of a world without Parkinson's, head to shakeitup.org.au forward slash podcast. Together, we can find a cure.